Welcome to Design to Thrive podcast. This is a space dedicated to sharing practical ways to design, deliver, and develop equitable uh, learning environments. And I'm your host, Alyssa Frazier. Each week, we sip on some great conversations with teachers and leaders and community partners who are all passionate about making school a place where all kids can be validated, empowered, and experience success. We know that it takes a village and each one of us plays an essential part in that village. So today we have uh, Solandra Grice, who is our guest. And um, just Solandra amazes me. We are in a community together and uh, we are co-founders in the color-coded um, community. And Solandra is an expert in culturally responsive teaching. And um, I'm really blessed to have gotten to know her and to share space with her, to build with her. Um, but I wanted to bring her on the show because um, A, she's amazing, but B, she's been a teacher before and um, she's just got some really unique um, experiences. And um, I know that she's got some tangible takeaways for us. I know that she has taught me and um, I'm really excited about what she's going to bring to the show. So Salandra, if you could um, please introduce yourself. I just gave a couple of nuggets, but if you could talk a little bit about um, who you are um, before we get going. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me. You're always so positive. <laughs> um, but um, as you noted, I am a former educator. Um, now I'm an equity education consultant and the founder of Conscious Education Consulting, uh, where basically we just uh, specialize in providing uh, teachers and schools uh, professional development, culture or, inst or instruction in culturally responsive and equity-focused teaching practices. Um, our ultimate goal is just to make sure that every student can walk into any classroom um, and just be taught by a teacher who, and these go off my little four principles, who can embrace, empower, educate, and include every student every day. So um, I'm also an author. Um, I recently released my very first book, The Conscious Educator, Becoming Culturally Responsive Teachers in Schools. Um, and let's see, I have my own podcast too, <laughs> The Conscious Educator. And uh, yeah, and a co-founder of the Color Coded Community. Yes, yeah. again, we help, <laughs> help create equitable classrooms for all of our diverse students. So yeah, in a nutshell, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's it. <laughs> yes, we, we are equity soldiers um, together. And so we celebrate together, we grow together. And um, I love that every student, every day um, aspect. And so, um, yes. So let's go ahead and, and, and get into it. Um, so I wanted to start off and just talk a little bit more about um, raising consciousness and adopting this culturally responsive um, mindset. So if you could talk a little bit more about um, what we mean by culturally responsive mindset, um, and then um, we can shift a little bit more towards um, 
what does that look like in a learning space in a classroom? Mm -hmm. um, well, for me, the first step that I encourage teachers to take when they're trying to go down this path is to know that it's, this is going to take honesty and a lot of self-reflection. Um, I know that teachers have been trained to think of everything as a toolkit, a strategy, something they can neatly compartmentalize and, you know, put in their pockets and neat and tidy. But the road to a culture response consciousness is messy. Um, it's not linear. Um, and it is a lifelong journey. So I think we first have to just prepare ourselves to be honest about uh, where we are in our teaching practices right now, where we want to go, and if we're even open to doing anything different once we realize what we've been doing may not be working for all of our students. Um, so I would say honesty, humility, openness, um, wholeheartedness, those are going to be um, essential skills or dispositions that teachers really need to have ready to go before they can jump into this work and be able to do it um, effectively. Um, yeah, so we really have to just be open. Um, if we come into it thinking that we know it all and that the only problem that we're having is that students are just not doing what we say or parents are just not doing what we say, and if everyone could just do what I say, then everything would be fine, uh, we're gonna struggle in this process. Um, I think that's one of the hard parts for a lot of teachers is that deficit mindset that we've all kind of been brought up in about what it takes to be a good teacher kind of gets in the way because cultural responsiveness or building that consciousness really doesn't look at students and families as, as deficient it looks at them as coming in already with knowledge and skills and assets. And that's a hard transition for a lot of teachers. Um, and again, that, that humility, that uh, willingness to be self-reflective is really going to help them overcome that shift from thinking that students don't have what they need um, and changing it to, am I providing students with what they need? If that makes, I hope that's making sense. Sure, sure. <laughs> So what I'm hearing from you is just, is um, I'm hearing really a culture shift in um, the role of that teachers play and how they envision themselves, not only with students, but connecting with families, kind of connecting with the extended community. And I think it's, it's, it's fair to acknowledge that to a great degree, even though the classrooms may look different, um, that we've all, including me, including you, we've all been raised um, for years and years and years, um, hearing and seeing and being reinforced this thing that you're talking about, which is like the students come in and, and um, you have, have kind of all the answers and, um, it's not about if you love kids, uh, right. because sometimes I think folks will say, well, you know, I love kids. And of course you love kids. If you're a teacher, I mean, good Lord, you gotta love kids. But um, this is really about rethinking um, how we engage, 
who we see kids are, who we see the family as, and um, talking a little bit more about that humility and um, reflection, that's so huge um, because how often were we as teachers um, where we'd get a professional development and they go through it and what do they skimp on? They skimp on the reflection. Right, right. <laughs> they just go straight to the strategies. We haven't changed our mindset. We haven't thought about our practice. And, and I remember even back in my early days, what was it, Love and Logic, um, where they were pushing this thing on us. And all of us were uh, very upset that we had to learn this new way of managing our classrooms because in our minds, because we hadn't reflected, we're like, well, they're just not listening. It's not me. I don't have to do this differently. They just need to listen. And we weren't able to hear that we really need to change our approach and how we were thinking about classroom management instead of, like we said, that deficit, well, if they just do what we say, then everything will just be fine. No, sure. we really have to rethink how we're thinking about students, how we're thinking about families so that we can provide them with what they need and we all can get on the same page. But yeah, that mindset shift is the biggest hurdle that a lot of teachers um, are going to have to go through in order to get on the other side of effective and authentic culture responsive practices. Yeah, and can you, can you um, talk a little bit more? Um, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking in two levels. I'm thinking about the teacher okay. who may be listening to this, um, who's saying, well, I'm in this environment and this is the expectation and I am really trying to, this is the, the culture of the school and they just need us to do 50 million things. And so I need you to fit into these 50 million things. I'm thinking about that teacher. Um, what do we say to, to that teacher? Um, and then I'm also thinking about the, the teacher leader um, mm -hmm. who sees that this is really important, but is not sure um, how we can begin to implement these um, practices. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about that a little bit more later. Um, how can we begin mm -hmm. to shift? So from the teacher level, and then from the, the, the school, um, from the school administrator, school lead, uh, leader who, thinks that this is great, right? Um, right. But it's as, not as sure. everyone does. <laughs> yeah. How, who, what do you say to what do you say to a teacher who's listening? So for teachers, I would say, no, you don't have to do all of those things. And I know you probably will get in trouble. Don't say that out loud, but know that in your head, no, this list of 50 million things that you're supposed to teach throughout the day for how many minutes you're supposed to do it, no we know none of that is humanly possible. So we're going to have to shift our priorities, right? Because what I always tell teachers, even in the midst of all this content that we have to get through and the way we're supposed to get through it, even if we have all these great math and reading and writing and literacy strategies, if we don't know who our students are, we don't know what they need, we don't know how they think, we don't know how to deliver that content to them in a way that is that will be responsive to them, it won't matter. All those 50 million things, it, it's a, it doesn't matter. 
So we're gonna have to reprioritize. We're gonna have to start focusing, focusing on building those relationships with the students and getting to know who our students are, what their strengths are, what their interests are, what their needs are. So all of that content, now we know what we can filter out because it's gonna be irrelevant and unnecessary and it won't work and take out what is going to be relevant for our students and start focusing more on that. And so I think that will help as well because um, we can't do it all. Um, and I know that a lot of our, our content-based PD is built on giving us too many strategies. And so it, it, it can be hard to figure out what, what you need to use and what you don't need to use. But again, if we refocus on now who our students are and what they need, it'll be easy for us to know, well, you know what, that strategy is not going to work for little Johnny because we know uh, he enjoys performance-based assessment. So I'm not going to make him sit through a lecture this time. I'm going to make sure he has an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z that fits his schedule, um, that fits his learning style, I'm sorry. And so when we do that, we're able to let go of that long list of to-dos because now we have a more narrowed and effective focus. Now for the school leader who I talk to often who says, I'm really excited about this program and culture responsiveness and, and all that it is. However, I'm nervous because we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. We don't, especially now in the midst of COVID-19, we don't want to add any more undue stress uh, to teachers who are already dealing with everything, all the unknowns that are going on right now. And that that's all understandable. However, what is our focus in these schools? Is our focus on making sure that teachers are comfortable, which is important, but is our focus on our students? And if our focus is on our students, then we have to, again, reprioritize what is important. And so in the midst of COVID-19, we have to remember that we had disparities and we had issues before the pandemic. We had issues of racial inequity in our uh, academic outcomes, in our discipline outcomes, in our funding, in our special education rates. So all those things are still there in this pandemic. So if now the focus is, if it's only on the pandemic and not on not only the issues that were there before, but what the pandemic is going to compound, those issues are only going to get worse. And so even though going down this path um, can be discomforting for some, it's necessary for our students who have been uncomfortable in our classrooms even before uh, this upcoming school year. You know, we really need to make sure that moving forward, we take this opportunity to really revamp the way we do schools, to do it in a way that is now effective and responsive and positive um, for all of our students. And, and COVID really has, has given us a way to do that. Um, it, it, it's really going to take us being brave in our school spaces um, and saying, you know what, I know we've always done things this way. Yes, I know that um, this is what we feel like is comfortable for us, but look at our students. This is what they've been telling us that they need. This is what our parents have been telling us that they need. When are we going to start taking those things into consideration out along with what our required uh, content 
uh, commitments to our state are. So sure. we're going to need to find a way to blend both of those together um, because we're, again, as we see, we're not going to be able to meet those requirements if we don't know what is working or not working for our students. So we're really going to, again, like I say, reprioritize. Yes. Who are our students? What do they need? Who are our families? What do they need? So, and so that's really important because I think that there's so much data that's out there and, and we've asked um, and we've gotten responses, but I think that more conversations need to be had in terms of, of looking at how, what the research says about how we can bridge and how we can leverage and how we can launch and how we can be inclusive, um, how we can move towards empowerment. Um, because I'm not sure that, that some teachers even know what you're saying, right? They may not right. have read that or they may not believe it, or maybe it, it, was, um, it wasn't um, highlighted um, or it wasn't seen as, a, as really that um, importance that you're talking about and saying you're having, we have so many opportunities that we're missing, that we're not tapping into and these and doing these things will make these other things will align. And so we're really um, teaching to the whole child and you can do that. You know, it's not um, impossible or just for the, for the few, like there are folks that are really doing it. Um, right. But I, I wanted to, to scale back just a little bit and to come back to the teacher and to think to really, okay, you've got a teacher, you talked about these dispositions, they think it's a great idea, they, they know somewhat about culturally responsive, but, and they've, maybe they've done a, a, a PD or two, but um, what are some intentional steps, maybe one or two that a teacher could take in terms of um, working towards this culturally responsive mindset? So when you say humility and you say like, well, what does that, what is that, what is this journey, maybe mm -hmm. one or two steps, what does this journey look like for somebody who says, you know what, I'm going to do this? So what this looks like is really taking an inventory of who matters in your classroom, right? When I say who matters, I mean, can all of your students see themselves reflected positively, right, in the curriculum? Do they see themselves reflected positively in the way that you conduct your classroom environment? Do they see themselves reflected positively in the decision-making in your classroom, right? Those are just a few things. And a lot of times when we actually look at what our curriculum is, the materials that we use in our curriculum, we only see that a certain kind of student matters, right? And typically, and this is the discomforting part, typically, and research will show this, a lot of our classrooms and schools are set up to favor white, middle-class, English-speaking, male, uh, conservative Christian values, dispositions, beliefs, and norms. And when we are in a classroom that has students from all kinds of backgrounds, um, income backgrounds, religious backgrounds, gender norms, orientation norms, this is where the disconnect comes in. 
So if you're truly committed to making sure that all students, right, every student every day comes into your classroom, feels welcomed, feels included, feels valued, valued has their, feels like their voice is affirmed, can see themselves, then if you look at your curriculum and you see that you are only teaching to those dominant norms, then that's something that needs to be addressed. If you are looking at some of the favorite maybe uh, books or materials that you use and you see that those are only reflective of the dominant class, then that's something that needs to be addressed. If you look at your classroom norms or your community agreements or your classroom rules, whatever your classroom management plan is, and it's more than, it's more indica it indicates a control and manage and conform atmosphere other than community building, um, shared vision, shared voice, shared decision making, then that needs to be addressed as well. So those are just a few things that we can do. And when, if we notice a disconnect, again, if my curriculum, if my classroom norms, if my materials do not give a voice, give a mirror um, for all of us, then that's a huge indication that I need to dive a little bit deeper into understanding how to reverse that so that all of my students can be seen, can be heard, do see themselves valued in my classroom and not just traditional dominant um, norms, values, beliefs, dispositions, um, behaviors in my classroom. Yes, that's great. Those are, um, I appreciate you, you talking more about the inventory and um, the self-work um, because it doesn't matter if the school gives you a, a ready set curriculum, right? You as the teacher still have to take that curriculum and adapt and make sure that um, one, let's, if we need to build in robust supplementary, supplementary, if we need to create bridges, if we need to make sure that um, because it's packaged for like mass production. And right. uh, um, one of the things that I, that happens in the teaching profession is that you have folks that are like, oh my goodness, I don't have, to, no, you don't have time. You may not have time to build things from scratch, but when you get handed this thing, you still have the power on how you're going to use it, um, what you're going to layer with it, and the intentional choices that you make instead of saying, wow, this is done for me. Like, let me, let me focus my time on something else because um, not doing that step can really um, make the difference of what you're talking about, which is accessing the, the, the student who's going to be accessing the curriculum instead of right, just, right. this is the package and I'm giving you this package. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna give it to you, it's a great package, right? And so- And that's kind um, of the thing, we're not teaching the curriculum, we are teaching students. Yeah. And I yeah. think some of us are still stuck in that, well, I just have to get through the curriculum, I have to get through the curriculum, yeah. but just covering curriculum, as we have seen, just by looking at the data, it yeah. does not work, right? Yeah. That yeah. curriculum is is standardized, and it is standardized um, in favor and privileging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and excluding, and ex and it's and it's, ex it's set up. It's set. It's not designed 
with them in mind, but you can design. Exactly. So take that mind. pre that prepackaged curriculum. Great. It's got resources. It shows you, you know, your scope and sequence. Wonderful. Now take that and look at who is in your classroom today and ask yourself, does this reflect who my students are? Can my students see themselves in this? And if not, does, and does it relate to my students? And if not, what can I do to make sure it does? And that's going to make, that's going to mean bringing in those supplemental materials. That's going to mean maybe taking, leaving out some, some pieces or adding some pieces so that your unit on George Washington also includes the many voices of other people yes. who were affected by his pregnancy. So it, it doesn't just, yes, you can still talk about him, but we're also going to have to talk about the Native American tribes who were pushed off of their land because of his policies. We can also talk about the enslaved Africans in his backyard uh, who were also part of that plan as well. So uh, we can. And we can do it. And we can these curriculums. And we Go can ahead. do it. And we can do it. I'm so sorry. I got fired. He fired me up. No, no. Um, and, we, <laughs> and we can do it. We can do it at different at different grade levels, because that's one of the things that I, right. I hear from teachers saying, well, can we really, and, and can, you know, like, you know, I teach first graders, and one I of taught the, kindergartners, you know, and yeah, we did it. And we did it, you know, and we did it. <laughs> and they were it. quite I mean, insightful. And, and, they, and they will be, <laughs> and so there are ways, so when I, I'll just give you a really snapshot, which when you were talking, it brought me back, but when we talked about the American history, and we talked about the um the native the indigenous um communities and people that were here um and we know that there was a history of of, of colonialism of conquest what we did is we put um a bunch of sticks in the middle of the room and had students sit in circles and and there were popsicle sticks with all these different wonderful things on them and um we told the story and said okay so two people are already sitting there and they're talking and you've drawn these wonderful things on these popsicle sticks, um, whatever, smiley faces, blah, 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 blah. And then someone else comes. And when that someone else comes, they come and they take all over to the other side of the room and they begin to build with them. They begin to play with them. And we were talking to the kids about, um, imagine if you were here and you were these indigenous people right and you had built all these wonderful crops you had you have your whole community you have all these wonderful things and then someone comes and they take your things and they that's take a great visual. yeah and so yeah and i know and the kids were like well that's not fair because <laughs> right we're already and you know and so when we begin to talk about it like that Right. And then the other, and then you can add on to it, right. Where the person comes back and maybe says something not so nice. And then you begin to, because now they're saying, well, that was mine. No, it's mine now. You know, so you right. can, you can definitely, I'm just pulling that example to say that we can talk about in our history, we have people that have built and then people who have taken, and now right. you have to coexist with these people folks but you feel kind of now i'm going to say well as a teacher you guys better go play together i don't want to play with him because you know her because she stuck she took my sticks well now i'm forcing you mm -hmm. to play together and how do you think that, that that feels now because now we have all of these laws of the land 
which says, right. which now supposedly protects everyone, but now there's an unequal distribution of resources. And so, and, 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 and that's wonderful because as you said, kids know right from wrong. Now, granted, they, they are, they are, you know, developing adolescents. Yes. So they make mistakes. However, when you lay out to, to students in an age appropriate way, segregation, yes. colonization, yes. slavery, yes. they know immediately this is wrong. Yeah. Adults are are the ones who have the who have the yeah, issues you can do it my student yeah my students are always trying to figure out why the adults in these equations <laughs> could not figure out yeah. like why was this wrong or how yeah. come this wasn't wrong yeah. students know right away and yeah. they come up with excellent uh alternative yes. scenarios like why couldn't we just share or how come we couldn't just divide the land equally or why didn't we ask for permission like they have all the answers and we're like well that's just not how colonization works that's not but how colonization again yeah. to your point right that's not how colonization works but <laughs> um but to your point students can make these connections if we know how to provide them with excellent examples that are relevant to their yes. developmental style to yes. relevant to their background knowledge and they can make connections to these very abstract and seemingly um disconnected and, and historical charged. events yeah and they can apply it to what's happening today to yes. you know and they can they can do that yes. we just have to be prepared to do it and so yes. again that goes with that mind shift that a lot of times you know we say oh our students are they're just not ready for this it's, it's just inappropriate but really it's our discomfort that's taking over because we've been socialized to think that talking about race or politics or you know religion are taboo when really it's just made us ill-equipped to discuss it in reflective responsive and informed ways and, and that's multiple, what go ahead in a multiple perspective and, multi and multiple and multiple perspectives because even teachers I, if, you know, if you do have a teacher who's a, uh, a white male, middle income Christian, we're not telling you by any means that you have to give up your values or give up who you are Absolutely at all. Not. And so putting that on the table, but to also say that if you're in a room and, and that is the privileged status, and it always comes back to, if we're having a discussion you're, and you're coming back to, well, this is how I feel. And and this is where I'm at, then we're really wanting to, to make that shift to say that how are we including, how are we um, allowing um, not just other perspectives, but welcoming them and designing our instruction. Um, right. And valuing. And valuing, and valuing that. And, and that's always, that is like the baseline disconnect that, that happens with a lot of teachers of all backgrounds. Because if you grew up in American society, you have been socialized to believe that there is one way of speaking, acting, and believing that is appropriate, that is normal, that is the right way. And unfortunately, a lot of us have not had that opportunity to self-reflect, to dive and grow in our social political awareness to understand that upsetting those dominant cultural norms is what's going to have to happen if you want this equitable equal inclusive society and a yeah. lot of teachers have have a hard time with that um they say they want equity but then we start saying well let's start bringing in these 
other perspectives, these other positions. Oh, we can't do that because that's not how we do things here. Well, wait a minute. But you said you wanted equity, but now we can't yeah. go against dominant norms. So, so which is it? What are you committed to? Maintaining dominant norms or making spaces that are equitable and open and uh, that value differences? Which one is it? Um, and, and, and that's that's the bottom line. And we have so much. Um, we have so much available to us um, in the way of um, digital resources, even if we don't right. have the the curriculum ourselves we have connected communities and um and oh this is and, and and this is kind of what i wanted to kind of close off with but okay. i wanted to to talk a little bit about um what are some ways that school leaders can support their teachers in creating more culturally responsive schools even in the midst of, of covid well for one you have to get the pd for it and I'm not saying that just as a, a PD provider, but I mean, that's, that's it. Um, we have to make sure our teachers are prepared, just like we provide them with PD for math content or reading content or writing or science content. They have to have culture responsive and equity-based professional development in order to help them grow in these practices and be able to implement them effectively. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times with this, school leaders don't know what they don't know. A lot sure. of us are, are still in that. We don't really know what culture responsive teaching is. We don't really know what equity is. And we think it just means that we're nice to people of color. And we just like the kids. Yeah, and <laughs> that we left that they're in the building and yes. nobody has said any, has complained to me about anything. So we must be fine. But that's not what culture responsiveness is. Um, Yes, it does address the cultural climate, but ultimately, again, it's about that inclusivity. Does this school represent or welcome all students, all families? And again, if you, can, if you break down those policies, those practices, that curriculum, even your teaching staff, even your administration staff, if it doesn't reflect the population that you serve, then those are some things that need to be addressed. And they don't have to all be addressed at once. I think the most important place that school leaders can start is just building that inclusive and positive school atmosphere, building those positive relationships. Um, a lot of times, you know, administrators, because they are the boss, they're not going to hear all of the gripes from those who are who are in the trenches. Sure. You know, those are those are all conversations that happen behind closed doors, and then when we get in a meeting or a, a PLC, everyone's quiet, and all of a sudden everything's okay and yes. smiling. But then yeah. when we leave that PLC or we leave that staff meeting, we go back to our little corners and we gripe and we complain and we talk about what we wish was different, what hurt us, what we wish that would change. But sure. out of that, always operating out of that fear, you know, we never really get to the root of the problem. So I think for administrators, even if you think that this is not an issue on your campus, if you've never had culture responsive PD on your campus, then you probably do have some underlining issues that need to be addressed. Um, we can't just go off of what it looks like on our campus. It seems like everyone gets along. It's not about that. It's about are we meeting the needs and serving students? And if we have racial it. disparities in our, in our, um, in our, discipline data, if we have racial disparities and class disparities in our, our special education rates and in our academic rates, 
then we need culture responsive teaching yes. on, on our campuses. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, lots of tangible takeaways, lots of um, <laughs> nuggets. This is what we need. Um, so, um, Salandra, you've been amazing. And um, can you tell our listeners, um, one, we know that the book is The Conscious Educator. Yes. yes. Okay. So Conscious Educator, Becoming Culturally Responsive Teachers in Schools. It is available on Amazon. Um, you can, I know sometimes people don't want to buy off of Amazon. So if you send me an email at conscioused18 at gmail.com, you can get a copy personally from me. Yes. Um, you can follow me on Facebook uh, at the Conscious Educator, on Instagram at Salandra Grice, on Twitter at Grice Salandra. Um, and of course, check out my website, uh, www.consciousednow.com. And you can learn more about uh, my company, the services we offer, the fantastic equity team that I have available uh, for uh, these PDs. But yes, um, ultimately, we have to, we have to start. You know, I know it's overwhelming and it's a but lot, we can do it. but we, we, we can do it. We can do One it. We can time. do it. But we well, got to start somewhere. Yes, we can. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, let's do it. Um, all right. Well, I hope everybody listening, I hope that you, you've taken some time to kind of digest um, this food for thought that we've shared with you today. Um, always remember that we are the ones we've been waiting for. And until next time, keep shining.